The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends. I'm Carrie. This week I'm bringing the practical buzzkill vibe and exhaustion to this partnership. And I'm Amy. I tend to be upbeat and social, and I provide the wine and cheese for Carrie on Friday nights when we are doing our show planning, like tonight. But maybe I can also be a little overly enthusiastic. Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics, such as... Stuff we've had to Google while reading. New titles on our TBR lists. Film adaptations that we've seen. And other bookish news. At the end of our shows, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and hopefully a laugh or two along the way. This week, we are talking about mom, about mothers... People who are like mothers, grandmothers, motherly figures, M-O-M. Yep. Because Mother's Day is coming up right around the corner. So we are going to talk about books that are, <laughs> you like the word adjacent, Carrie. Are they I do. mom adjacent? They are mom adjacent. Okay. Mom, mother, child, mother figures. Why don't we say mother figures? Mother figures. Yeah. There you go. But first, uh, what, what's your boring thing for the week? You know, today I've been so busy that I don't know that I have a boring thing. What did I do that was boring? Uh, mm, hmm. You were exciting today. You went and you shopped for native plants and you visited your parents. I was busy. I went to the grocery. Yeah, today I was not boring. Last night I was not boring because we went to an Ethiopian restaurant. That's very not boring. Yeah, that's not boring. I don't know. I don't really have anything that was boring well, that I can an, remember. You you're know. on an exciting life track right yeah, now. Yeah, well, at the moment. You know, it, it'll be short-lived, though. I'm, I'm ready to get back to boring. I've done so much today that tomorrow I'm ready to be dull. Well, our exciting thing was that yesterday we went to Thurby, uh, which is Thursday of Derby Week. Uh, our show last week was about the Kentucky Derby, and the whole week of Derby is filled, really two weeks of Derby is filled with activities, but this week we have done several of them. We went to Dawn's at the Town on Monday with some friends, and that is where you can go early and have breakfast and watch the horses training on the track. So we did that. It was very, very cold. And then- It was early too. It was early. You have to, like, it starts at seven. Uh, And then- Yesterday, which was Thursday, we did what's called Thurby. And that is generally the day that the locals go to the track. A lot of locals don't actually go to the Kentucky Derby. For one, because it's extremely expensive to go unless you're in the infield. So anyway, I got all gussied up in a dress and a hat. And my husband, you know. Bought new pants. He bought new pants and he bought a hat. Ooh. He bought oh, a hat. Oh, that's right. He he went he went downtown to he get went downtown. a fancy man hat. It got himself a fancy man hat. And we uh, had lunch with some friends at a Mexican restaurant so that we could celebrate Derby and Cinco de Mayo all in one fell swoop. So it was fun. But <laughs> my feet really hurt by the end of the day. And I heard that there was somebody who was extremely smart. This person has some business acumen and they decided that they were going to sell flip-flops right outside the gates of Churchill Downs. So when people left, 
mainly women, let's just be clear about yeah, it, yeah. mainly women, when they left, they could just buy themselves a, a pair of flip-flops because that is the most painful thing about the derbies, walking back to your car. <laughs> so I'm like, I hope they made a killing on that because yeah. that was a really smart idea. Yeah. So some bookish news. Do I have some bookish news? Well, the, isn't it the Writers Guild of America? I mean, it, it's not books, but it's mm-hmm. it's writing. And is, is the strike, of, is it going on? Like, are they striking? It is. Okay. Yes. I just listened to a podcast about it today from The Daily, which is the New York Times. It's I think the New York Times has several podcasts. But this one, you know, they talk for about 30 minutes about a specific topic. And they were talking about the, the strike today. And it affects all uh, Hollywood screenwriters for TV and for movies, and they were, but also for a lot of like streaming services too, right? Like, well, yes. yeah, okay. Well, that's what I meant. Okay. by TV, like okay. limited series. Oh, okay, Not, they were saying that streaming actually has had a very detrimental effect on writers, professional screenwriters, because it used to be if you had a show, you could work on it for seasons and seasons and seasons. And now with a lot of these like limited series, they're just for like nine or 10 episodes. episodes, And then they've got to scramble around and try to find, uh, you know, more work. And that is just, it's, it's hard to live just like a middle-class life being a screenwriter. And so they want to be compensated for their work, which I don't blame them. Yeah. So a lot of, especially the late night shows have gone dark. I think Saturday Night Live has gone dark. I think things that are already in the works will continue to come out and be broadcast, but we'll see how long the strike lasts. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, it's a social studies teacher that I work with. He was saying, I assume that what he said was accurate, and I'm not a big TV watcher, but he said that the last time there was one of these strikes like this, it sort of launched a lot of the reality TV shows. And I had sort of forgotten that. Mm. Because they didn't have to have writers for that per se, yeah. And those <laughs> is that what is that what what happened? I don't I don't understand reality. We ended up talking about that, and I've never watched like the Kardashians. I've never watched the Real Housewives of anywhere. You know, I I just don't. Well, I've never watched Survivor. And he said, "Well, didn't you watch the Real World? Okay, season one." Season one, and then I think there was a season with somebody named Puck in it, and I watched that. But otherwise, I I don't like, because the thing is, it's like, it's, they're called reality, but they're not reality. No, I mean, it's hyped up, you know. Yeah. I like watching (laughs) reality cooking shows. But, I mean, there's not much involved with that. It's like sort of like a competition and the people are given weird ingredients. I used to like to watch the show called Chopped and Iron Chef. And Anyway, I will put a link in the show notes of an article about what the Writers Guild strike is all about for anybody who might be interested. That's my my bookish news. That's not week. actually about books. That's not technically. Actually, that's no, but it's about writing. It is about writing. And honestly, and like, storytelling. And it is about storytelling. It is. And a lot, you know, we talk about bookish adaptations and a lot of yeah. those. Yeah. I mean, somebody has to adapt them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there is one more piece of bookish news that uh, I wanted to uh, talk about. It just came out. I just saw it today. Ibram X. Kendi shared an article on uh, Instagram. It was from politico.com. That said that Illinois is set to become the first state to end book bans. And the quote that he posted 
from the article says, um, in Illinois, we don't hide from the truth. We embrace it and lead with it, said Governor Pritzker, who is expected to sign the legislation. Banning books is a devastating attempt to erase our history and the authentic stories of many. And I am like, hallelujah, if every state would do that. I mean, that's not going to happen. Not every state's going to do that. But that's a great start. Well, you know, okay, I, I don't I don't believe in banning books. But it's interesting to me that I think both sides of the political divide can sometimes want to ban things. You know, lately it's been one side of the political divide. You know, like books about LGBTQ people and books about African-American people and books about slavery and how long that's been going around. But I I guess I'm thinking about like if somebody says, okay, like say, for example, somebody said they wanted to ban Mein Kampf. What would you say to that? I don't think you should ban Mein Kampf. I I agree with that. I agree with that. But I think I think that you could get people who would say what he said was garbage and. And it is. We should I mean, ban- it is garbage. But also, right. if you ban it, then people are never going to be able to uh, determine for themselves if it's garbage or not. Right. You're only taking people's word for it. Right. No, I I'm definitely, definitely don't think books should be banned. I just I think sometimes, you know, it's something that it's sort of an equal opportunity issue. You know, kind of like, you know, the whole idea of like government spending money. Well, both sides of the aisle spend money. You know what I mean? Like they can talk about being fiscally this and fiscally that, but both sides of the aisle spend money. It's just what they want to spend money on. Anyway. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right. And And I think sometimes the pendulum, it swings one way, one direction, and then it swings the other direction. And it's constantly like it would be great if it would just stay in kind of in the middle, <laughs> but it doesn't ever do that. It's like, what happens is you have the people who are like, we want to ban all these books. So it's swinging in one direction. And then it's like, oh, it's going to be a free for all. I don't know. It just seems like it, the pendulum just swings. And I don't, I don't love that swinging too much, but maybe I'm just tired from work. I don't know. What can I say? <laughs> okay. So what you're saying is you don't necessarily like it that there's legislation that they've passed to ban book banning. You wish that people just didn't book ban and we wouldn't have to worry about it. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, to me, doesn't it sound kind of funny? We're banning book banning. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like what, which I guess the question is, well, we have a first amendment. So why do we need to even have, I, I don't know. Like that's just what struck me in the moment when you were talking about that, Again, I think books should be in libraries and should be accessible to people. And just because I like something doesn't mean somebody else is going to like it and vice versa. And it doesn't mean that I should have to read what they want or vice versa. But bands of book bands just it's, it seems kind of funny to me. It seems like, what? What are we doing here? It, it may be an overreaction to an overreaction. Does that make well, sense? That's that's true. Yeah, I guess what I would uh, also say is I heard about a, a uh, county in Texas that said, "Well, if we can't remove these books, we're just going to close the whole library down." Oh yeah, yeah. I here it is. Texas County weighs closing local library after federal judge orders banned books returned to circulation. Right. Yeah, that was in Llano Llano County, mm-hmm. and that was. I mean, this news report 
is from so that's a complete overreaction so i guess i prefer the illinois overreaction yes 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 i I mean this is just not like well we're just gonna close the library down yeah that's banana pants well there there you you go you were expecting me to be like yay raw yay and i'm like oh the way that struck me on this at this particular moment i'm like why are we having to do all this stuff? This just seems so nuts. Hmm. Agreed. Anyway. Well, okay. So I did start watching, which is not based on a book, but on a video game. I told my husband that I would be interested in watching The Last of Us. So way late to the party, as I like to be. Well, you're not that late. I mean, still, I mean, it came out like at the beginning of the year. You're just like a few months That's late. That's totally late to the party. Okay. Yeah. I mean, people have moved on to other things like <laughs> that's eons ago. Okay. How many episodes are you in? Uh, I think maybe we're getting ready to watch the third. Okay. Oh, we're not that far in. Okay. We just saw mushroom people who make the like. All the oh, clickers, the, the clickers, the clicking. Okay, you okay. Know, whatever. That so noise. here is a funny story about the clickers that I may cut out because nobody else may know about it. But so I watched the episode about the clickers, and then one of our dogs likes to sleep in bed with us, Sesame. Oh. And she was sleeping in bed with us. It was the night after we'd watched the clickers, and I'm asleep, but yet I hear this like click, 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 click. Oh noise. Lord, have mercy. I wake up kind of in a panic because I'm I'm like, where am I? What's going on? Well, it was my dog and she was having a dream and she was clicking her teeth. Uh, and oh. <laughs> it freaked me out for a minute. And then I'm like, oh, it's just sesame. Oh, okay. well, the, the, the whole idea, though, about fungi and like, that's pretty freaky. I thought it might freak you out a little too much. A little, but but I'm okay. Okay. I'm okay. Yeah. I've lived through a pandemic at this point, so... Yeah. Well, my husband played that video game when it came out. And I, I mean, there's some video games that are just like shoot 'em ups and everything. But a lot of the video games have like story. Oh, yeah. And he said this one had a really good storyline. And I thought that the show had really good writing. So kudos to those Writers, writers Guild writers right. who adapted from the video game. Okay, Carrie. What have you been reading this week? What's what what's uh, your most recent? Well, so <laughs> you know when we do one of these episodes and we're going to talk about a bunch of books uh, about a a certain theme, the book that I'm reading happens to coincide with with the theme, and that is the case this week. I think you're just trying to slip in one extra book because you couldn't decide. Okay, whatever. <laughs> that's fine call that call it that but no i i am reading this I'm, i think i'm about 80 percent of the way done with this book i don't know where i heard about it it's called now beacon now see by christopher sorrentino never heard of this guy it is his memoir about his relationship specifically with his mother now he does talk about his dad his mom and his dad were married for 40 some odd years his dad was a college writing professor and an author and Christopher became a writer himself and so he does write about his dad but it's predominantly about his his relationship with his mother and his mother was a kind of a difficult woman so he covers a lot of territory with this i mean one of the things he talks about is how his parents marriage they both kind of 
isolated themselves. And his mother, he didn't find out that she was dead until like neighbors let him know. Like her newspapers had been piling up outside her apartment. So they didn't have this relationship where they talked every day. At the end of her life, she just, she kept herself very isolated. So he's kind of covering a lot of ground. He talks about his childhood and their relationship. He talks about his parents' marriage. He talks about how his mother was Puerto Rican, but she didn't ever really admit to being Puerto Rican. So, uh, you know, talks about sort of like race and class in there. I have found it really interesting. You know, it's it's something that has, has kept me wanting to read. Maybe it's that whole, you know, the fun and dysfunctional families. Just every night I'm like, okay, I want to find out more. So do you think it is the dysfunctional thing that you're most interested in? Um. Well, like I said, this book covers a lot of grounds, and I think all of it is interesting. Like, a large part of the book is about when his father gets cancer and sort of him trying to be there for his parents, but his mom makes it so difficult for him to be there that, and he very much idolized his dad. His mom had lupus. And she always said she was sick for years and years and years. And so he kind of always expected that she was going to die, you know, and then it's his dad who dies first. And then he's left. I think his mom lived another 11 or 14 years after his dad died. And she just, again, she just isolated herself from other people. She didn't really have friends, people that would come visit her. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, again, it's, it's not particularly healthy, but sort of like how he deals with that. How do you deal with somebody who doesn't make it easy for you to have a relationship with them? Mm. And, you know, so many people have that with their parents. So many people do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just because somebody is your mother, you know, it's like, well, you may, you may love them in a like, you gave birth to me, you kept me from dying as a baby, you know, but like that whole tenderness piece. It doesn't mean you necessarily like them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, I, you know, I have found that now it, it's very different. I'm very close to my parents. So it, it's interesting for me to read about somebody whose relationship with his mother is very Surprise. tenuous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about you? What have you been reading? I read a book recently that I really enjoyed. I know that you're in the middle of reading it. So I'm going to try to not. No spoilers. No, it's actually a book that our book club chose. It's our book club choice for May. It's called The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. And it has sort of an interesting premise that really makes you think. So one day, everybody in the entire world receives a box. Who's over 22. Who's over 22. Years of age, yeah. Receives a box that has a piece of thread in it, a piece of string. There's a note in it that basically says that this piece of string relates to how long that you're going to live. And some people have short strings, some people have long strings. And at first, nobody knows exactly what those lengths mean, except for you could compare it to other people. And it kind of sets everything askew in the world. Now, I know, like, who who could see boxes out? And that's not really even the point. Mm-hmm. That's not really even the point of the book. The point of the book is, what do you do if you know you have a long string, or if you know you have a short string, or somebody you're dating, you have a long string and somebody you're dating has a short string, are you still going to want to 
be with that person. Or, or the the part where I'm at, because I'm in the middle of it, is uh, what happens if the government starts making decisions based on or, the or employers start making decisions based on people's string lengths? Like, like well, we may not want to spend this time training you because your string is it's only short. for two years. Yeah, you mm-hmm. you might you might only live ten years, or insurance won't cover you because right. you have a short string. Short string. Uh, so it it brings up all kinds of really interesting questions. Now, there are probably five or six main characters who have alternating chapters. And at first, they're not necessarily connected in any way. And by the end, it does kind of come together where... There's know, connection. There is a connection. Okay. That's all you need to know. I just thought it was really thought-provoking. So a lot of people in our book club who have read it, we haven't discussed this book yet, but have told me that it reminds them a little bit of Adam Silvera's They Both Die at the End, which there are some similarities, but yet it's it's different. But I really enjoyed it. I gave it a four and a half star just because I thought it was so... It's a quick read. It's very compelling. It's very compelling. And it sounds like it might be depressing, but it act- it has like a hopeful... In some ways, it's almost like... Like with COVID, you know, in the beginning, we thought it was so awful and it was very awful. But then after we've kind of come through the other end of it, we're able to live with it. You know, there's some hope there. And this book is kind of like that as well. And, you know, just because you have a short life doesn't mean quality is better than quantity, right? Well, in a lot of ways. Well, and the thing is, it didn't change any. I mean, like if you think about the strings. The only thing that changed is that you know. Right. Like before, nobody knew. Mm-hmm. You assume, everybody assumes that they're going to live until they're 90, but nobody actually knows. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's the thing. Like, do you make different decisions when you assume that you're going to live to 90 versus when you know? Okay, so I right. got to ask you. If yeah. if somebody, you know, aliens, whatever, drops strings, would you look at your string? No. I wouldn't either. Mm-mm. No, Absolutely I wouldn't not. either. No. Mm. I don't want to know. In fact, there is a genetic disease that runs in Chris's family, and they might be coming up with a test for it soon, and he would like to get the test done. It's a, it, it's a condition you can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. I don't want him – well, I guess I don't want him to get it because I don't want to know. Yeah. And I don't think that he could get it and know and somehow not, not know. know. I don't think he could keep it from me. So, I mean, it's kind of a... Yeah, I don't want to know. It's kind of a rough thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it also reminded me a little bit of The Immortalist by Chloe Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And in that story, there is, I think it's four siblings who go to this fortune teller. And she tells them, they're young, they're kids, basically. And she tells them the date of when they're going to die. And knowing that date affects the way they live their whole lives. And so it's sort of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, Uh you know? uh Uh, And in a lot of ways, you think that about this book in certain spots. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. Again, that was The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. All right. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Dear Old Mom. We are back and talking about, you know, Mother's Day is coming up. By the time this airs, Mother's Day will be like four days away. Right. 
So right. be thinking about what you're getting your mom. Do not forget. Right. Maybe one of these books you'll want to get. There you go. There you go. All right. So what what is your first? Well, first I want to say that at first I thought, oh, will I be able to come up with five books? Well, that was a very stupid thing to think because I ended up coming up with like 20 books. And then I was, again, overwhelmed with how am I going to narrow this down about what books that I'm going to talk about? You You get very stressed about these things. <laughs> oh, they're like, so ah! fun. But... What I decided was if all of our books were just memoirs of people and their moms, that that would be kind of one-dimensional. So my picks a little bit go outside of the box. Are they set in Mongolia? None set in Mongolia. No, we don't have any set in Mongolia. But one thing I will say is also I was trying to pick some older books that maybe we haven't talked about recently. Because if you think about it, several people that we've interviewed have had books about moms like The Other Mother mm-hmm. by Rachel Harper, Runaway by Aaron Keene. We've talked about The School for Good Mothers by Jasmine Chan. Chan. So Truth and Other Lies by Maggie Smith. There's just been a lot that, of mom books that we've talked about. So I was trying to think of some some older ones. And this is not going to count as part of my list, Carrie. Okay? But I want to mention something because... I had two miscarriages before I had my first child. And I remember Mother's Day was just a few weeks after that. And it was gut-wrenching because, of course, I thought that I was never going to be a mother and that I was the only person in the world who was never going to be a mother, even though that's ridiculous. But, you know, when you're sort of in grief like that, that's the way it feels. So I want to throw out a book for people who may not want to be biological mothers or can't be biological mothers. And this is for pet moms. Okay. Throw it out So there. this is my pet mom book. There is a book called The Particulars of Peter, Dance Lessons, DNA Tests, and Other Excuses to Hang Out with My Perfect Dog by Kelly Conaboy. And I listened to this a couple years ago. It is a fun memoir about this woman who's single and childless, but her dog is the first dog she'd ever had is her baby. And she does all kinds of crazy things that people do with their animals when they're crazy about them. And things that you would do with your kids <laughs> too, you know, like taking them to all kinds of lessons that they don't really want re- to don't really want to yep. do. If you're if you're a dog mom or a cat mom, this is a, a fun little read. So there you go. But okay. I just, I just want to acknowledge all those people who may not fall into the human child mom category. Gotcha. Because there's lots of ways to be a mom. Absolutely. Okay. So I, you start. Oh, okay. All right. I like kids' books. So this book, it's called Sarah Plain and Tall uh, by Patricia McLaughlin. This is, this is an, you know, an old book. It won the Newbery Medal. And it's set in the 19th century, and it's about a girl named Anna, and her mother has died. And her father sort of advertises, you know, he's got two kids, and he's trying to survive, and he sort of advertises for a wife. And so Sarah comes to Maine to sort of become a wife and and mother to these kids. And it's really a lovely book. It's super short. Like, you can totally finish this in a half an hour. It's a super short book, but it is just 
lovely. Uh, and it's about, you know, sort of them getting to know her, Anna and her brother Caleb getting to know Sarah. And if you like that book, there are actually two more books in the Sarah Plain and Tall series. The second one is called Skylark, and the third one is called Caleb's Story, and I've read all of them. I've heard other people talk about these. I think they must be very popular. Yes. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. So, it, you know, again, it's it's historical fiction. It kind of gives you, you know, a little bit of background into what families did, because that happened a lot, where mothers would die in childbirth or they, and they had get, to find another and, and they woman needed somebody to, to take, care, take of. care of children so if if that's something you're interested in i highly recommend sarah plain and tall by patricia mclaughlin well i'm going to start with one of the mega stars of american literature maya angelou but she wrote a book about her mother called mom and me and mom and this is a memoir of angelou's complicated relationship with her mother vivian baxter She shows both the good times and the bad with her mother, who had a huge personality, but who was absent most of Angelou's childhood. So when Vivian's marriage began to fail, she sent Maya and her brother from their home in California to her grandmother's home in rural Arkansas. And she really didn't see her mother much at all once she went to Arkansas. It was really her grandmother who raised her. But then they rekindled their relationship as adults, and Maya was able to sort of come to terms with the sense of abandonment that she felt from her mother's actions, and she came to respect and loved her. And I liked that we got a different perspective on Angelou's life and what shaped her by seeing her response to her own mother. We see how her mother was somewhat instrumental in Maya Angelou's success as a writer. And I also appreciated that this was a story of a complicated relationship, as many mother relationships are. But ultimately, Angelou reconciled and found the sweet spot in it. I listened to this by audiobook, and it was narrated by Maya Angelou. And I just really love her her voice. So that was a treat. I want to mention um, a book that I think would be an interesting companion piece to this. It's another book by Maya Angelou called A Letter to My Daughter. But what's sort of interesting about this is that Maya Angelou doesn't actually have any biological daughters. She has one son. But in the book, she says, I have thousands of daughters. You were black and white, Jewish and Muslim, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American. You're fat and thin and pretty and plain, gay and straight, educated and unlettered. And I am speaking to you all. Here is my offering to you. And so it's, she's sort of giving motherly advice to pretty much any woman who would like it. I have not read this book, but I think they could be an interesting pair to read together Mm -hmm. or one after one another. So again, that was Mom and Me and Mom, and also A Letter to My Daughter by Maya Angelou. All right. So uh, you talked about her being raised by her grandmother. The book I'm going to mention next is about two kids who go to visit their grandmother. It's a Newbery Award-winning book, A Long Way from Chicago by Richard Peck. And this actually has, there are three books. So similar to the Sarah Plain and Tall series, this series also has three books. And I will tell you that I read these, all three of these books to my boys when they were younger. And when we got to the final book, and that was the end, my one son cried oh, because he really loved these books. So 
A Long Way from Chicago is about Joey and Mary Alice, and they leave Chicago, and they go spend time with their grandmother, Grandma Dowdle, and she is a character. She, you know, lives kind of in the country, and she is a piece of work. I mean, she's she's sort of contrary and ornery, and you just can't help but like her. The book is really funny. On, you know, several summers, they go down and, and stay with her. And I love books about grandparents in general. And these books, um, A Long Way From Chicago, A Year Down Yonder, and the third one is A Season of Gifts. So those are the three books in the series. And who's it by again? Richard Peck. Okay. So look those up. Okay. Awesome grandmother stories. Well, now I'm going to give you a graphic book. It's called Good Talk, A Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. This is a graphic memoir that takes the reader with the author who has to answer difficult questions asked by her young son about being in a mixed race family, sex, and politics. Now, Mira, the author, is Indian American. She's married to a white Jewish American man. But when the 2016 election is getting underway and candidate Trump has said horrible things about, you know, different kinds of minorities, her son asks why the president doesn't like brown people like him or why her in-laws don't believe that President Trump is racist. And so this book handles both really heavy topics, but it also is very funny at times. The artwork is a mixture of photography and drawings, but it looks different than most of the graphic books that I've read, which admittedly is not very many. I don't read a lot of graphic memoirs, but this is this is one of my favorite. This book just it reiterates to me how as a mother – you get asked many, many questions. When they're young, it could be, why is the sky blue? Or, you know, why do my fingernails grow? Or or whatever it is. And sometimes those are questions you can answer, and sometimes they're not. But when, as they get older, they also ask you questions that you don't have the answer to as well. And a lot of being a mother and a parent is sometimes you can't answer those questions, or maybe the answer isn't what you wish for your child. So again, the name of that book is Good Talk, A Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. Okay, Carrie, what else? The next book I'm going to mention, we read this in book club a while ago. I don't remember. Oh, I read this in 2013, quite a a while ago. Okay, so here's the thing. Mothers have secrets, Mm. right? Like Mm -hmm. kids think they know everything there is to know about their moms because they're like, well, you're your mom and you're boring or whatever. But moms had a life before they had children. And so this book is about a mother whose life was very different before she had her children. So the book is called The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton. I love this book. I gave it five stars. I thought it was a really great book. The daughter, when she's a teenager, she sees a man comes to their house and she sees an interaction between her mother and this man. And so, you know, this is really, this has stayed with her and it, it kind of confused her. So when she becomes an adult, she tries to figure out like, what's, what's the story? Her mother is having her 90th birthday. I mean, and so she learns things about her mother's life before World War II in England, but then also during the Blitz. And so you come to find out that the mother had this big secret that nobody knew about. And and what her daughter witnessed was 
the secret coming back to the mother. So I thought it was a fascinating book. Again, five stars, The Secret Keeper by Kate Morton. I remember really liking that. I can't remember much about it, but I remember really liking it when we read it in book clubs. So yeah. good recommendation. But the next one I want to talk about is fiction. Okay. But it's speculative fiction, and it definitely would fall under the weird genre category. <laughs> it has elements of a thriller. It has some elements of a portal science fiction novel. And this is definitely a book that won't be for everyone. But if you are an adventurous reader, this book is very thought-provoking about motherhood. And the name of it is called The Need by Helen Phillips. So this is a story about a woman named Molly, who is a wife, and she's the mother of two young children, a four-year-old and a baby. And in fact, the baby is still breastfeeding. And I mention this because breastfeeding feels like a very important part of this story. And Molly is really just trying to keep her head above water with these two children. The oldest is still mastering using the toilet on her own. You know, she's in that question phase, like we talked about, where she's continually asking questions. She throws embarrassing tantrums and all of these things any parent would recognize and as part of just being, you know, a mother or a father. The baby must nurse, needs diaper changes, is crawling, it's into everything you shouldn't be into. So the book very successfully shows us the very normal, maybe boring, but also highly stressful life of raising young children. And during this time period of the book, Molly's husband is out of the country on a business trip. So she has to juggle all the children's needs by herself. But Molly is also a scientist. She's a paleobotanist who studies fossils from ancient plants. So she's part of a team of scientists who are uncovering fossils at a local dig site. And they uncover some very interesting things that are somewhat strange and unexplainable that the media gets a hold of. And they start getting very threatening messages from some people in the public. So one night when Molly comes home and she's alone there with her children, she realizes there's an intruder in her home. The intruder is disguised, but leaves her a note to feed the children, put them to bed, call the babysitter, and then meet them outside at the car. So Molly assumes that the intruder is one of the people who's been sending the threatening messages. And when the intruder finally gets her to an offsite location and reveals themselves, Molly is shocked to find it is someone who knows her better than almost anyone else. So this book is a very quick and suspenseful read. It has very short chapters, which keeps the action and the reader moving quickly through it. It kept, it kept me guessing throughout, and it made me really think a lot about the pressures of motherhood, about being a working mother, about how you have so many roles to juggle. The book ends in a way that leaves you wondering about a couple of issues. So if you hate a book where there's not a definitive answer to what happens, this may not be the book for you. There's not a huge amount of clarity except for what you, the reader, give it. But I thought it was interesting to include because being a mom ain't easy. Mm. And this is sort of a, a speculative look at that. So again, the name of that book is The Need by Helen Phillips. I think you would like that yeah, one. Yeah, I would. I would, for <laughs> sure. All right. My next one is The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. And I read this book six years ago. Mm -hmm. is, is about, yeah, mm -hmm. six years ago. So whatever year that was, because, you know, COVID years, who knows? I can't. It's in COVID years. It's, a, you know, be before COVID. It, there's either life before COVID or life after. All right. So this is a story of a lighthouse keeper. Uh, I think it, it's in Australia. Mm -hmm. Tom, he's a lighthouse keeper. He and his wife live on this very isolated island. And his wife, they've tried to have children and she hasn't been able to 
have children. She's had miscarriages and a stillbirth. And one day, a small boat washes up on shore, and there's a dead man and a crying baby in the boat. And he gets the baby, and his wife basically just takes the baby. You know, this baby meets a need that that she has. And so... He wants to report, you know, because he's he's been a meticulous record keeper. He wants to sort of report this, but he feels like he can't do that because it might destroy his wife. And so it's the story of kind of the decisions that the two of them make, the things they do and the things they fail to do, and his desire to give his wife some happiness when she hasn't been able to. But then you're also wondering, you know, as you're reading the story, like, where did this baby come from? And is there a mother someplace who's, you know, thinking her baby's died? Or you come to find out through the story. So anyway, that book is called The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. And if you are a Michael Fassbender, as I am. Now, I have not seen this movie, but there is a movie version of it. And I remember liking it. Yeah, I, so. I saw it. Uh, yeah, that's a really good book. That's a that's a good recommendation. Yeah. All right. So my next one is called Hill Women, Finding Family and a Way Forward in the Appalachian Mountains by Cassie Chambers Armstrong. Cassie Chambers grew up in poverty in rural Kentucky, but went on to get two Ivy League degrees and then worked as a lawyer for domestic abuse survivors in rural communities in her home state. She's now actually a member of the Kentucky legislature, but this book focuses on the women in her family who helped her get there, her grandmother, her mother, and her aunt. And all three served as mother figures for her and taught her different things on how to be successful, even though they were not educated women. She uses these stories to show how women can help this poor part of Appalachia move into the future. So Cassie wrote this book actually as a response to Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance because she didn't feel that that showed the Appalachia that she knew. And so this was her story about it. I actually gave this book to my own mother for Mother's Day several years ago because I thought that she would recognize some of these strong women characters, very similar in her own background. And also Cassie was a guest. So if you want to hear more about Cassie and her book, you can listen to our episode with her in episode 39. Wow. That was eons ago. That was so long ago. So long ago. I know. Man. All right. So my last book is a nonfiction book. It's called Different, the story of an outside-the-box kid and the mom who loved him. And it's by Sally Clarkson and Nathan Clarkson. So one of my children is a very outside-the-box kid. And so I felt like I could maybe get something from this book. And I did. You know, when I sort of wrote my review about it, the mom was talking about her son, his diagnoses, his learning, and that he needed special things. You know, he he wasn't going to be just kind of run-of-the-mill kid who just went along with the program. And that can be a big challenge for a parent, especially if it's going to be more challenging. Let's let's just say that. And and that and you can feel very isolated. You know, you can feel like, oh, everybody around me has this quote unquote normal kid and my kid is not normal and what do I do? And so I felt like reading this book, it really helped me feel less isolated. And and Nathan, you know, when he was co-writing this with his mom, he was 
an adult, right? So he had kind of come through it. And with his mom's help, he was able to flourish into the person he is. And so that gave me hope that, you know, if I accept my child for who he is, that's going to be a lot easier for both than of us. Than trying to change them. Than trying to change him into something that he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, her son's diagnoses were different from my son's. But, you know, if you have a child who's volatile in some way, whether that's, you know, they get angry or they get sad or whatever, that can be, you know, you feel like you're stepping on eggshells like all the time. And so I, I, you know, I felt like her discussing this as a mom, it it made me feel like maybe things will work out. And, you know, there are definitely times as a mom where you really just need to feel like you're not alone mm-hmm. and you need some hope that maybe things are going to be okay. So if you have a child who uh, is an outside-the-box kid, then you might want to pick up different, the story of an outside-the-box kid and the mom who loved him by Sally Clarkson and Nathan Clarkson. Very good. Well, my last one is a little bit outside the box. It's called Call the Midwife, a true story of the East End in the 1950s, and this is by Jennifer Worth. And so it's about a midwife trainee in the Eastern slums of London in the 1950s and the many experiences that she had with women about to become mothers. So this is really a book about giving birth, the act of giving birth, of becoming a mother physically. And so the main character is not a mother herself, but she helps others become mothers. Um, she's being trained by nuns, and we go with our narrator, Jenny, as she visits women for prenatal visits and for their births at home generally. Some of these children are very much wanted, but there are some that are product of sexual abuse, of sex work, or terrible poverty. But all of the stories of these nurse midwives are a lovely story of women helping women, about the miracle, but also the immense danger inherent in the birthing process. And so once again, this book is at times very bleak, but it's also quite funny and heartwarming in other spots. So it will make you have all the feels. If you like this book, it is the first in a series of three books about uh, Jennifer Worth's time as a midwife. And it is also the basis of a very popular PBS series of the same name called The Midwife. And you and I have one book that we both had on our list. We did. Yeah. Called Glitter and Glue by Kelly Corrigan. So Kelly Corrigan is to me the quintessential mom. She's about our age. She's a writer, and she has a podcast called Tell Me More, and she's the host of a PBS series called Kelly Corgan Wonders that asks big questions that she discusses with her celebrity guests. Um, she's written several memoirs uh, about life as a daughter and a mother, but her book Glitter and Glue is about her relationship with her own mother. And the title of the book comes from a saying her mother said, which was, your father is the glitter and I am the glue. <laughs> and Corgan had a very close relationship with her father and a more difficult one with her mother. But her mother is the one who kept the trains running on time. So after college, Kelly traveled to Australia and became a live-in nanny for a recently widowed father and his young children. And Kelly basically became the de facto mother figure uh, to these kids and had it had her reevaluating her own relationship with her mom. When I read this, 2017, when I wrote my review, I wrote, I I guess these quotes, you know, meant a lot to me. 
<laughs> uh, this was on page 88. But now, I, this is from Kelly Corgan. But now I see there's no such thing as a woman, one woman. There are dozens inside every one of them. I probably should have figured this out sooner, but what child can see the woman inside her mom? What with all that motherness blocking out everything else? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so this was also a book our book club read. Apparently we read a lot of books about mothers. We apparently. Well, maybe because we're all mothers. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But this was a favorite of the group yeah. and had a lot of, a lot of things to think about, you know, about once you become a mother, do you reevaluate your own mother? Yes, I think yes, so. Yes, you absolutely do. Yeah. Okay. And, and you realize what a colossal turd you were. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know. Sorry There's for all a, those things I did and didn't do and said and should have said. and Yeah. There's this one incident that I always think of with my mom when I think about the whore. You know, I don't think I was too horrible to my mom, but I mean, I was a teenage girl. Yeah. A lot of teenage girls are somewhat mean to their moms. But for, I remember for Halloween one year, I was going to some party. I was maybe, I don't know, 13, 14, maybe. She was going to make me a flapper dress, mm-hmm. which she did. She sewed it, you know, with all the the, the fringe. fringe and everything. And I tried it on after she was done. And I said, yeah, I'm not wearing this. <gasps> and I think back on it and I think, oh, my God, how much time did my mother spend on that? The money she spent on the materials and everything. And then I'm just like, nah, no, I'm not wearing that. Like, just totally negating all the time that she had spent. Like, her time wasn't worth anything. I feel so horrible about that now. And also, (laughs) my mother didn't say a word. Maybe she did. I don't remember it. She didn't say a mean word about it, where I am fairly certain if my daughter did that, I'd be like, what do you mean you're not going to wear it? I just spent two weeks making this thing Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. You know what I did to my mom? What'd you do? When I was 19, I went on this 10-week trip to England, Ireland. The infamous trip. The infamous trip. And I had a boyfriend here in the States and I sent him a Dear John letter and I got engaged to one of the guys on the trip and I sent my mom a letter, you know, because back then we didn't have text and we, and and part of the rule was we weren't supposed to call our parents. They didn't want us like calling our parents all the time. And at that time it would have been hard to call Super expensive. Yeah. And so I sent her a letter and I was like, we're engaged, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I still remember my mom sent me, you know, the airmail letter back and she wrote in all caps, I'm trying not to freak out. (laughs) And, you know, this guy and I were engaged like four weeks and then he needed money. You know, like he ran out of money. And so then I returned the ring so that he would have money to feed himself. Until we got home. Anyway, I did not end up marrying that guy. And my mother still talks to me. So we all do horrible things. We to our all mothers. do terrible things to our moms. So, but we love you, mom. Love you, mom. Yep. All right. You the best. Give us a minute. We'll be back and we'll talk about what we love and hate. We're back, and we have new things that we love and hate this week. Do you want to start with love or hate? No, let's start with hate. Okay. You like going first. (laughs) All right. So I just realized today, before I came over here, something that I hate 
I hate summer clothes. Now, why? Why do you I hate, hate summer clothes? I, well, maybe it's because <laughs> I'm middle-aged and so my shorts, every, you know, you don't put your summer stuff on. You put them on after you've maybe not been as active in the winter. And so you put on your summer shorts and you're like, what the heck happened to my butt? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where I am because today got pretty warm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put on some, I had been running around all day. I was like, I'm going to put on some shorts, put on a t-shirt, go over to Amy's. And I put on these shorts that last summer felt pretty good. But this first, this first pull on. The first pull on of summer clothes is rough. I will admit. Yeah. Woo. Now it's loosened up since I've, you know, been over here and ate dinner. And so, but you know, your body just changes. I'm, well, I'm okay, going to be so 50. Then I so. think that then you're not so much hating your summer clothes as you are hating your middle-aged body. Well, changes. I hate that too. But oh. no, I do. I hate summer clothes. Like put me in long pants and a long sleeve shirt and I'm happy. I really do prefer fall and winter clothes. I don't love, I, I just don't love, I don't like dresses. Mm. I don't like sandals because I got to look at everybody's janky feet. and. You know, shorts, I don't, shorts are kind of, I don't wear tank tops anymore because. The arm. The arm. arm I mean, even though I don't, I mean, you know, my arm's okay. I don't have the dip, but they just, no. Anyway, and you know, you see, uh, I don't know. I just don't love summer clothes. I just, I don't, I hate them. I really do. I won't get a stitch fix in the summer. If I'm going to do a stitch fix. I get it in September to prepare me for winter. I never get stitch fixes in the summer. Because I'm like, what are you going to send me? Some terrible shorts? A skirt I never wear? A dress that makes that makes me look like I'm wearing a tent? No, thanks. None of those sound good. I, I don't like summer clothes. There I we go. I will say, I really, I started, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I love skirts in the summer because they're cool. You know, the airflow, the airflow. Yes, absolutely. I love a good skirt in the summertime. And that's that in like palazzo pants or what I wear because I, I don't wear shorts anymore. But here's the thing. Everything's very flowy. Mm-hmm. But if you have like for me, I feel like if I have all this flowy stuff going on, then I just again, it's that tent feeling. Oh, well. I don't know. Tell me something you love. Change the mood here. Well, this is kind of goes along with our theme this week. I found a new podcast that I love. Oh, shocking. It is called Wiser Than Me with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus, people probably know her from Seinfeld because she was Elaine Bennis. Uh, And she was also in Veep. Uh, She is a very well-known comedic actress. And I believe that she might be 60. Uh, this podcast is all about talking to women older than her and getting their wisdom about how to live the best later chapter of your life that you can. So I think there's four or five episodes out now. I've listened to, she did one with Jane Fonda and one with Isabella Allende that I've listened to both of those. I thought she asked really intuitive questions um, you found out some things like, for instance, that Jane Fonda didn't really even have girlfriends until she was, oh, I think, like 50 or something. Hmm. Like, she just always felt like she needed a man and didn't understand, like, how girlfriends worked. worked. Well, not that they worked, but, like, 
what they gave her, what they provided. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until she got older that she realized what she'd been missing Hmm. and developed those kind of relationships. And um, I've seen some of her more recent episodes. She has one with Fran Lebowitz. Uh, She has one with Ruth Reichel, who is a, a food writer. And someone named Darlene Love, who I'm not sure who that is. I think she's a singer. Oh, yeah. Darlene Love, who worked with Elvis Presley, apparently. So most of these women are in their late 70s, 80s. I think Jane Fonda might be getting close to 90, 88, 89, something like that. And so, I don't know. When I was younger, I didn't care so much about what the older women in my life had to say, which sounds really awful because, you know, when you're in your 20s, you kind of never think you're going to be old. And after I've been poof, what? I'm 50? I know. And then you hit like 50 and you're like, well, damn. Yeah. I'm going to get old. Yeah. And I better learn. If I'm lucky. If I'm lucky. And I better learn the best way to age gracefully and, you know, to, to have as fulfilling a life as I can. So anyway, I'm really enjoying that podcast. I think if you're a woman of a certain age, or even if you're younger, or even if you're a man, you can get something out of it. Again, it's called Wiser Than Me with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Okay, let's, I don't know if we have time for a full list of things we've added to our TBR, but maybe we can just talk about one, or maybe two, what you got? (laughs) Or maybe 12. All right. Hmm. I have added Graveyard of Lost Children. That's the most recent book. So I heard about this book. I think I was looking at a list of thrillers. And this is kind of how the the premise is. When, when Olivia was four months old, she was almost murdered. And her mother kind of got this idea that, that she was a changeling. And so it sounds like the mother almost, you know, did her own daughter in. And so then now the daughter, Olivia is getting ready to have her own baby. And so what is that going to mean for her? And, you know, this dynamic, is she going to do something to her new baby? Anyway, since uh, very timely, since this episode is, you know, uh, about mothers, but I thought that sounded pretty interesting of the, of the list of books. I was like, Hmm. Because I'm always, I love a good book about a changeling. So, oh, okay, I didn't know of, that. I didn't know that was one of your wheelhouses. That is one of my wheelhouses. Yes. So the name of that book is Graveyard of Lost Children by Katrina Monroe. One of the most recent ones I have added. You know, I just finished, and we're going to interview this author a little later in the summer, Rebecca Yeros. But I just finished a romanticy. It's called The Fourth Wing, and I kind of loved it. And so I saw this book, and it's also sort of a romanticy, but in the King Arthur kind of way. Um, it's called The White Enchantress by Catriona, Catriona Drexler. And it's basically imagining if a girl from the 21st century was actually Guinevere and a time traveler, like came from, you know, a current time and went back. Oh. So if Guinevere was a time traveler oh, from our time period. Oh, interesting. Um, and so there's sort of this, she has a, you know, a boyfriend back home named Josh, but then she's also sort of trying not to fall in love with Lancelot. Mm. Sounded kind of interesting yeah. to me. Because, uh, you know, I love a time travel. You do love a time travel. So uh, mm. it sounded a little bit like Outlander in that way, but with the Arthurian legend. Cool. So, Yeah. Yeah. Well, good episode, Carrie. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. 
And happy Mother's Day. I know. Happy Mother's Day. To all the the moms, the stepmoms, the grandmoms. The dog moms. The the dog moms, moms. the cat moms, the gerbil moms. and Plant moms. My daughter's a plant. Yeah. And well, and (laughs) anybody who's like mothered somebody in some capacity. Yes. You're important. And then we'll be back next week with a chat with Sierra Horton McElroy, who wrote the book Atomic Family. So we'll see you next week. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. We always are looking for new listeners, so if you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth by you is one of the best ways to help people find us. Or you could also leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at forwardradio.org.